Hey everybody, welcome back to the Four Pillar Effect. This is Cortez Richardson bringing you another show with a very special guest. Today we have Dr. Travis Owens on the show. How you doing today, Travis? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Oh yeah, no problem. So as usual, everybody, we're going to go ahead and jump right into this. I'm sorry if I sound tired. I'm just, I am tired. I've been at the range all day qualifying on weapons. So anyways... Enough about my life. We're going to go ahead and jump into yours and give you a chance to explain what you do for a profession and what do you have your doctors in? Yeah, well, well thank you again so much for having me. And, and don't think you're going to get away without talking more about this range practice, man. I'm always down to hear about <laughs> some military work. I got family, family in the military for generations, so I want. I expect to hear more about what you're doing too. Okay. Um, so my name's uh, Travis Owens. I have a, uh, a, I'm a doctor in chiropractic, um, and also a postdoctorate specialty in musculoskeletal injuries. Um, I work with an amazing company here in San Antonio called Arosti Rehab Centers. Uh, we have about, I say, just just shy of fifty offices. Here in San Antonio, we have about 160 across the state of Texas, and then across the country, we're at about 220. And um, we wow. specialize in corrective uh, or correcting injuries quickly, um, and that would be my, I guess, as you would call it, like your nine to five. Um, and aside from that, what what people know me uh, more as is the cheer doc or the cheerleading doctor. Um, I, I've been involved with the sport of cheerleading for, uh, 16 years now, uh, both in the competitive, yeah, it's been, it's been a while, (laughs) (laughs) both, both in the competitive realm, um, in the coaching realm and in the director type, uh, role working with, you know, kind of running bigger programs. And, um, as of now, my shift or my focus has shifted away from, the competitive or coaching side to focusing on creating kind of creating the, the missing link in our sport. And that is the things that other sports tend to have that cheerleading doesn't. Uh, And that's strength and conditioning, nutritional consultations. Uh, We also do sports psychology and injury, uh, injury rehab and prehab, looking to prevent some of the common injuries in cheer. Um, okay. So cheerleading has given me so much through my life, uh, and it was just a big dream of mine to be able to give back to the sport that, um, that, that led me to my, my career. Okay. So how did you, like, first get into cheerleading? Like, was this, like, through, like, a high school type thing? You, I mean, what, what was the determinant factor? Yeah, it's it's funny you ask. It's I, I I joke with people. It's a uh, it's the longest running joke in history. <laughs> uh, my my senior year, I should say my the my my junior year, um, I saw a flyer for a free tumbling class at okay. a at a gymnastics studio that wasn't far from our our high school, and I I got to be honest, I'm being I promised Cortez. My first thought was. Dang, I want to learn how to do a backflip. Girls will like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny, man, is that 
I, okay, so I'm I'm pretty much from like a really small town. Okay, and uh, we had a team of cheerleaders, but they we didn't have male cheerleaders. Okay, and I used to always think like, dang, the same thing used to go through my head. Like, dang, I wish I could just like learn how to do a backflip. <laughs> like, I always wanted to learn how to do a backflip, right? And I never learned. So. I can I I completely relate to that and I'm just glad that somebody took the wheel. <laughs> hey, well listen, for those for your listeners that don't know, 2 minutes before this this interview, Cortez and I both realized that we lived 15 minutes from each other before he moved out of San Antonio. So if you come back to yep. San Antonio to visit, man, I will teach you how to do some tumbling. Oh, I'll be getting ready. <laughs> I, I'll start I'll start building up to it. Perfect. <laughs> So I end up in this gymnastics studio and I'm excited to take my first tumbling class because I'm, I'm going to learn how to backflip for the girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I walk in the door, I actually saw a guy that I played football with for the last few years uh, on the high school team. And so when I saw him, I, I was like, man, like, so I went up to him. I said, hey, are you here for the tumbling class, too? And he's like, yeah, definitely. I'm like, Dude, I can't wait. <laughs> well, it turns out he was the coach of the tumbling class and he had done gymnastics his entire life and his parents made him do football just to do something different because he was a gymnast his whole life. Right. And so my first class, he taught me how to do a back handspring. And for those that have not sure what a back handspring is when you jump feet to hands to feet backwards. Right. And Mm -hmm. I was hooked. I was freaking hooked, man. And so I signed up to take classes twice a week. Um, I would have to beg my parents to either drive me to the gymnastics gym. I was 15 at the time, or I would beg them to the point where they would get so frustrated. They would actually let me drive myself. And that's not self-incrimination. That's just telling the story. (laughs) So I I would go to these tumbling classes and, and within a few weeks, man, you know, I caught on pretty quickly. And so one day I was joking with Nick, who was my coach at the time and, and became a, a teammate of mine. Um, I said, dude, we ought to, uh, we ought to try for the cheerleading squad. Okay. And he looks at me, he goes, I've been thinking about doing that, but I didn't want to do it alone. And so, <laughs> so we said, okay, well, let's do it. And, you know, not knowing what we know now, um, we tried out and we both made varsity. And then we both crapped our pants because we didn't think that they would ever take two guys who had never cheered before. Right. But uh, you, you learn that every team wants guys. And so we were exactly what you they know. Were. And I was just about to ask you that, like, as far as being um, a male cheerleader, mm-hmm. you haven't ran into those blocks. Like, cause I know um, there's like this big thing going on where it's like, men are um calling women either sexist or feminist sure, that's when they're saying masculinity right right yeah. right so i just wanted to know as far as in your world how is it being a male cheerleader did you run into those roadblocks or did any other guys look at you like oh my god like what are you a cheerleader like you know what i mean oh for, for sure man you know you talk about being from a small town i'm from panama city florida which if you're not familiar with the panhandle of florida it's right. nickname is the Redneck Riviera. I mean, it is it is <laughs> it is Alabama plus beach. I mean, it is yep. truly um, a very backwards type city. Now, granted, there's a lot of great people. My family's been there for 
over a hundred years and we have, we have roots that are very deep in Panama city history. But when you look at the culture of the panhandle, it is a very um, traditional Southern backwards community. So, so yeah, I mean, absolutely. I faced, um, you know, and, and, and I, perhaps we need to put a, you know, a, uh, an advice, an advisory note, the beginning or in the notes, but, you know, I don't mean to offend anyone with, with anything I say here, but, um, you know, I was called a faggot on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time when I first year of cheerleading, um, my senior year of high school, I was so proud to have made that team. Once I actually started doing the sport and realizing the work that it took to be good. Um, my, my high school sweetheart, came to me one day crying in the hallway that she had been ridiculed so much for, you know, dating a faggot. And, and it just, it broke my heart and it, it really, you know, I, I faced really early on this, um, you know, this battle of, do I give up something that I'm really loving and getting into because of the social ridicule? And it continued, honestly, man, all the way through college, through my college years, I would, I cheered at the university of Florida uh, go Gators and, um, you know, traveling to places like LSU and Florida state, you know, some of our big rivals and it, it followed you every single right. place you went, it followed you. There were aggressive homophobic, right. um, you know, just all these nasty things that people say and it, it never ended. And right. to be honest, you know, I know it sounds, it sounds kind of weird, but I'm really thankful for that experience because, it allowed me to develop thicker skin than I ever thought I could imagine. And it also allowed me to truly fall in love with something despite what people think. And that truly led me down the path that I am now with the career that I am where, you know, you know, the, everything that's happened since then has been a result of the confidence that being a male cheerleader, learning to be proud for what I enjoy and what I love to do. Um, is all stemmed from that. So the short answer is yes. I mean, I faced it every single day, but I wouldn't give it, I I wouldn't take it away for, for anything. Right. No. And I can definitely appreciate that. And I I appreciate you sharing all of that. Um, And another thing I want, because we're going to elaborate more on that. And I want, I definitely think we're going to extend this show a little bit. Um, Another thing I wanted to talk to you about, I was listening to one of your um, episodes and you were talking about mental block and you kind of went into um, having the strength to do a backflip and you were saying how the strength to do a handstand correlates with being able to do a backflip. Mm-hmm. Can you speak on that? Like the, the correlation of how being strong enough to hold a certain position correlates to being able to transition. Yeah, absolutely. It's so the, one of the, one of the biggest things that, that I get asked through our, our Instagram, our social media and, and, and through our podcast is, a lot of times it's mental blocks with tumbling. And, you know, when you, when you're looking at some of the base level and higher level skills in tumbling, whether it's gymnastics or cheerleading, a lot of it is, I mean, if you had to do a bullet point, it's throwing your body backwards in an area you can't see at high velocity with a lot of perfection of movement. And that is a very daunting skill for an eight year old. So, yeah, we face a lot of mental blocks in our sport. And so one of the mental block questions that we get a lot is back handsprings, which is a it's a pretty 
basic skill in the grand scheme of tumbling, but is also an extremely foundational skill for progression into higher level activities. So when you look at a back handspring, you're basically, you're, you know, like, just like we talked about before, you're going from your feet, you're jumping backwards, you're landing on your hands for a split second, you're creating enough force to push off the hands and then land back on your feet all in one fluid movement. And so in order to do a proper back handspring, you break that down into a couple of parts, which is the beginning where you sit properly. So you, you're angling your body in the right direction and then you jump. So you have to create enough power. But then remember that split second where you have to be upside down with your hands on the ground, right. create power to then flip the rest of your body over and land back on your feet. So one of the things that I see in our sport is we're in a rush to get new skills because the faster you get skills, the higher level you can compete in. And that's very alluring to our young athletes. So if you have to be able to do a back handspring as a foundational skill, if you look at that handspring, when your hands are hitting the ground and then you're pressing off creating power, you're generating multiple times body weight of force in that split second. Right. So any fault that you have is going to be ex highlighted. It's going to be you know, exemplified in that moment. Right. And so a lot of the issues I see are that we have our athletes are not able to, they're just plain black and white, not strong enough to maintain that amount of force. And so their arms buckle and they end up falling and hitting their head. And mm -hmm. so I try to keep things very simple for people and say, if you're not strong enough to hold your body upside down on your hands under control and for a decent amount of time, you're just physically not strong enough to do a back handspring. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. It's like saying I can't do, um, you know, I, I can't squat my body weight comfortably, but I'm going to put a barbell on my back and I'm going to squat 200 pounds. Right. Yeah, you know? there was, um, I don't know um, if you know this guy's name, but um, I was watching an interview with him and he's like this really uh, – big time CrossFit coach for the games athletes. And he coaches a uh, majority of the females. I ben Bergeron. He, right. Yep. He was talking about how um, if anybody wanted to get into the sport to compete in the games, he didn't focus on their cardiovascular conditioning. Uh -huh. He focused on their strength and the way that he put it in the words, simply putting it is um, he said, if you're not strong enough, to lift the weights that these guys are lifting, you've already lost. It doesn't matter if you're going out and you're able to do the cardio workouts like the marathon row or the the chipper type workouts uh -huh. because those don't involve the weight. But as far as being a well-rounded athlete, you need to be able to lift a, a certain amount of weight in the snatch, a certain amount of weight you need to be able to squat. Uh -huh. And when you get to those numbers, then you work on the conditioning. So I think that that, that um, you know, kind of correlates with me in my mind as to you have to be able to take things and progress and since this is the quarter of uh health for my show uh -huh. i just want people to know that everything is um 
progression. Absolutely. So before before you start going out and trying to run, you know, like if you're not used to running uh extended amount of time, then you need to do things in intervals before you can just try and jump into it. Because like what you're saying is um if somebody just tries to go do a uh handspring right now, a back handspring right now, you could potentially sprain your wrist. It doesn't mean that you like let's say you do everything correct. It's just the fact that you don't have the flexibility in your wrist. You don't have the the tendon strength there. I would assume that it would be very plausible for you to sprain your wrist, even if you do everything correctly, just because the mechanics aren't there for your body. Like you haven't built up the ability and the um, durability to do something that you you know, can execute. It's like if, if somebody doesn't run at all and they go out and run three miles and the next day they're sore, you're doing more harm than good because you're backtracking your body. Is There's no progression in that. Um, no, I totally, I totally agree, man. And, and it's, I love that you brought up CrossFit because it's, um, cause I'm, I'm a CrossFit level one coach myself or, you know, I have that certification okay. and, you know, you look at exactly what coach Bergeron was saying. And it falls in line exactly with what you said. And if you take it a step further, for those that aren't familiar with CrossFit, when you look at the pyramid of fitness that is the basis of CrossFit philosophy, the bottom rung, the very bottom is nutrition, right? You have to get the right fuel to even do anything with your body. But the next step up, the second most important thing in that philosophy, and, and honestly, it's the first most important thing when it comes to actually moving is gymnastics. It's, it's being able to control your own body. If you're not strong right. enough to move your body, you shouldn't be moving weights. Well, I, and, and I'm just going to add on to that. If you're not strong enough and mobile enough to move your body correctly through those movements, then you don't need to be doing those movements. Absolutely. Because uh, I see a lot of people, and, and for instance, the squat is the perfect example. I, I have to work on like my ankle mobility a lot the squat is a perfect example i see a lot of people who they they can technically get into a squat position but the transition from them standing up to going down they're doing more of a like a good morning if anybody knows what a good morning is it's pretty much where you're kind of doing a toe touch but Uh you're really working your hamstrings and that's not how squat is supposed to go but um, kind of we're kind of getting on topic here with uh, going into fitness, which I love. But um, I, I just want to kind of hit back on what we were talking about sure. earlier, where people were kind of ridiculing you and stuff like that. And I want to personally say that um, the whole the first thing I thought about um, when I was thinking about, oh man, I wish I could do a backflip, is what occurred in my mind instantly is that. I knew I couldn't do it. And when I thought about, well, why can I do a backflip? It's not that I'm scared. It's Mm -hmm. just that, first of all, I don't know how to do it. And then second of all, what really went through my mind is, is I don't honestly think I'm strong enough to do it, Mm -hmm. to do a back, uh, back handspring or even just a full backflip. So I I, I was more of like thinking, okay, the technicality of it and the strength, like Mm -hmm. I knew I could bench a lot of weight and stuff like that. But just like what you were saying, if, if you take your body weight and you slam it on the ground, it is, it's a whole different realm than picking up a bar and benching it. That that's like immediate impact. So to anybody who 
is um, looking at cheering or gymnastics or something to be taken lightly. I go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and stop the podcast right now <laughs> and just tell you, I give you this challenge. Do a handstand. How, how long can you hold a handstand for? Oh, man. Uh, just give me like a rough estimate. Until my feet go numb? Yeah. I mean, a couple of minutes. So I so just so just like, to just to give you an idea, um, when I cheered, uh, when I was in college, we at the the beginning of the fourth quarter, between the third and fourth quarter, we would have a little moment where we would play some school, you know, some school kind of fight songs, alma mater type stuff, etc. And before at before the fourth quarter, the cheerleaders would do a contest for all the guys and all the girls. And what we would do is you would toss your girl up onto one hand and you would hold her on one hand for as long as you possibly could against the other guys on the team. Mm -hmm. And this contest would last well over a minute, minute, two minutes. And you think about it, it doesn't sound very long, but you're talking about holding a hundred pound living weight over your hand, over your head for two minutes straight. Right. And so I was the pretty much odds favorite for winning that every single time. I okay. lost maybe twice out of all the, every time I ever done it. Um, but I could hold a hundred pound girl overhead for two minutes. And I, I only weigh 190 now. So I would assume that I could hold twice, twice the girl, which would be me for two to three minutes. Okay, so so probably like handstand holding it. Like, let's say if you were to hold a handstand up against a wall, oh, I'd fall asleep. <laughs> okay, so so anybody anybody who takes this lightly, I, I just give you a challenge. I'll, I'll say, see if you can hold a handstand up against the wall without without your entire body being up against the wall. Just your feet, just with your back. Yeah, just your feet on the wall. And hold that. Just hold that. Put a timer on for two minutes and hold it. And if you are not, I mean, like pretty much shaking at, at like the minute mark, I do kudos to you. Like seriously. But two minutes, two, two, three minutes for the average person who doesn't do gymnastics and somebody who wants to, you know, call people names or look at it like psh, whatever. And I don't think that people understand that being able to manipulate your own body weight effectively to the point where it's graceful mm-hmm. is something that is literally a skill that you have to practice over and over and over and over. Oh, and it's, sure. it's it's muscles that you can't get working out at the gym doing, you know, just regular movements like, you know, squat and stuff like, like that helps. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I know for a fact that I have done, um, some gymnast type stuff, even yoga. Is oh yeah, crazy and and hard at times. I had a, I had a big eye opener when I was my senior year of college. We had our strength conditioning coach. Um, my senior year of college was probably when I was r- around about my fittest uh, that I've ever been. You know, I, I was I, I was benching over three hundred, squatting in the mid fours, deadlifting five. I could clean and jerk. You know, two fifty. I could strict press. 185 plus um but our coach in an attempt to show us all uh how little we actually knew 
had us try some body weight movement stuff. And I remember she put a, uh, you know, the BOSU, right? The, the plastic bottom. Yeah. Like, it's like top. a half of an exercise yes. bar. Yep. Yeah. So she set that on the floor and she said, sit in the dead center of it and put your feet directly out in front of you and slowly lower backwards into where your shoulders touch the floor without your feet touching the floor and then sit back up and do a BOSU V up. And none of us could do it. Not one oh, of yeah. us, not one of us could sit on this thing and do one single rep of the sit up. And that she said, and that's why I want, and she said, and the reason I show you is to say, even though you think you're strong, you still have holes in your game and chink in your armor. And that can be your fault. Yep. And that was, that was very eye opening for me. Okay. Yeah. And, and then that transitions into, you know, perfectly into what I wanted to talk to you about, which is the mental block. So when you, when you fail at something, um, a lot of things that I realize with people who work out or in, in general, when they don't do as good as they think they should be able to do and things like that, that's when they kind of back off from it. Um, and I was listening to your podcast once again about the mental block. And you were saying that when you fall, when you're trying to do, when you were trying to do new skills and sometimes like, I guess you bust your ass or whatever, uh-huh. you'd immediately get, right back to it and that way you didn't have time to kind of soak in that misery of the failure you immediately go back and do it oh yeah please speak on like the importance of the psychological aspect of doing that oh of course and when i say immediately back into it for for the listeners i'm not talking about like that day i'm talking when i would fall it was when you're in when you're in tumbling class depending on the gym that you go to when you're in a tumbling sequence that you're working on your running tumbling you're on corners of the mat with the rest of your team and you're cross tumbling. So you go, the other corner goes back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. And you literally are going off of each other's heels to eight counts. So when I say I would get up and do it immediately, it wasn't like oh, I'd work on it that day or that week. I would literally go back to the line, skip everyone and tell them I have to go again and I would do it again. And if I fell again, it was again. And I would do that repetitively until I landed the skill. Because I knew the second that I stopped and started thinking about every single thing that could have gone wrong, I would never do it again. And that's the problem is that people get too caught up in the minutia of something that they lose sight of the big picture. And that is the biggest fault of an athlete is when you have something that goes wrong, instead of saying, hey, I may have just had a fluke issue in that moment or that minute. They, they, it, it festers, it grows and they start to analyze every single piece of it. And if you're, and it's just like I tell my patients, if you are looking for pain, you're going to find pain. If right. you're looking for something wrong with what you did, you're going to find it. And just like with my patients, I tell them, if you stop expecting pain, you're going to stop feeling it. And just like I tell my athletes, if you stop expecting to find something wrong, you're going to find something right. Right. Most definitely. I can, I can definitely agree to that. Cause anytime, like, like I was saying, I have like a knee issue from time to time. If I don't stretch, that's the thing. If I don't stretch, then my knee bothers me. But, um, and uh, dude, I'm only 24 fucking years old. So, <laughs> but it's like, if, if I don't stretch, um, then, you know, like, especially with squats or running, running's like, I love, I, I used to run like eight miles every day. Uh-huh. Um, so 
like running for me was like really, really big, but um, it just got to the point where my schedule got really busy and I didn't have time to stretch. And then I just had to make time to stretch. And before I would run, I would just, in my mind, I'm thinking like, I know I'm going to have knee pain after this, but after kind of just repetitively, you know, paying attention to my body in the right way and being like, okay, I'm going to do this to prevent it and not expecting to have that pain, not looking for it. That's what kind of, made it back off and to the point where it just, you know, I guess disappeared because I don't really have those problems today. I just went on a run this morning as a matter of fact, but um, I want to know since, you know, you're, you're a doctor and you're doing, you said you're doing chiropractic medicine and um, musculoskeletal recovery. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. So what do you think gives you the most bang for your buck when it comes down to health? Like if, if there was, I, well, I, I know you, you do two realms of it. So like two things, like what, is, what would you say would be the top thing? And then right underneath that would be the second most important thing when it comes down to health. Sure. Sure. So, and just, just for, you know, I, I want to touch on this just to make sure that there's some clarity here uh, for the listeners. Um, <clears throat> there is, you know, traditional chiropractic that most people are familiar with, which is, as most people know, or most people think, you know, you're popping bones, and that's that's perfectly fine. Um, the type of practice, and, and then the reason I intro it this way is so it makes a little bit more sense to the listeners, is um, the type of practice that I do is not chiropractic. I know it's, I know I'm a chiropractor, but I'm, I don't do chiropractic. Um, it's very similar to when you get an x-ray and you get that report that tells you everything that's on it at the bottom, it says electronically signed by blank, blank, blank MD. So the person that did your radio, your radiography report, yes, they went to med school. They were a medical doctor, but they don't do medicine. They do radiography or radiology, however you want to look at it. So same thing for me is I am a chiropractor, but I don't do chiropractic. I focus mostly on the soft tissues of the body. So muscles, connective tissue, tendon, ligaments, fascia, et cetera. And I, I just wanted to, to just, so it's, it makes it a little bit clearer for the listener when we start talking about um, different things with, with health and, and, and things like that. Um, okay. But to answer your question, the number one thing when you look, in my opinion, is strength. And I know that sounds very blasé, but if you think about all things in the body, when it, rely, when it comes to health, there is a strength component. That's everything, right? So you think about, you know, health of a joint. Well, how do you keep your joints healthy? You deload the joint and you put the forces and energy that your body uses into a different structure. What structure? The muscles. How do we do that? You have stronger muscles. When someone has um, cardiovascular issues, and they need to work on having better heart health. What is the heart? It's a giant muscle. How do we make it better? We condition it and make it stronger so it can handle load. When you're looking at the digestive system, you talk about we need to digest food and be able to have a healthier digestive tract so that we extract more nutrients. Well, how do we have a healthier digestive tract? The walls of your intestines are smooth muscle. And when they're stronger and conditioned, They're able to move food through faster and more efficiently. So when it comes to all aspects of the body, there's an underlying tone that the stronger you are, the more conditioned you are, the healthier you are. 
And so the first thing I look at with people is, are we addressing and maximizing the potential strength of all systems of the body? And then as a follow-up, the second thing that I would say is, what are you putting in your body? Now, I'm not a big fan of the, the guru stuff out there, the detoxify and, you know, you got to cleanse and you got to like all that guru stuff, man, to be honest with you, and forgive my French, it's all bullshit. There is, okay. it's literally people trying to sell desperate people things that these desperate people are trying to change their life and they will sell you anything under the sun to make a penny. So there is no such thing as detoxing. There is no such thing as cleansing. There is no such thing as a magic pill. Waist trainers don't do anything. Intermittent fasting is not a magic trick. It's just shortening the window of time that you eat. There is no quick fix. So the second thing is, what are you putting in your body? Is it the right amount of food that you need? Is it the right type of food that you need? And are you going back to look at number one when you're thinking about number two. And that's, is what I'm putting in my body going to help me become stronger in all those areas? Wow. Wow. I definitely agree with that because I mean, I never really thought about it like that, but when you kind of elaborated on the way that you did, you know, I, one thing that I think about when I think about being healthy is just mental health, like mm -hmm. the, the ability to do the things and I feel like where your mind goes your body follows Absolutely. so if mentally you wake up and you're like ah oh, you know uh, and this I'm a victim of this nobody is perfect but you know when I first wake up I'm like god dude I'm so tired like and I get trapped and and I think a lot of people get trapped in this you get trapped into thinking about yesterday Oh, yeah. Like, I'm so tired. I did all this yesterday. I just want to sleep in and get a good amount of rest. But once you put like if you're strong enough mentally mm -hmm. to push past that or break through it, however you want to word it, I strongly believe that starts the day that sets the tone for you mentally. Like how strong are you to go against yourself the right way? And you know, when you when you put it like that, I think that that does definitely correlate into everything, because are you strong enough to tell yourself no when there's donuts in the break room? Yeah. Are you strong enough to tell yourself, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym and, you know, I might not be competing with myself today, but I'm going to train to become stronger. Sure. You know, it's, it's those types of things that I definitely try and focus on. But you said something that really like struck my attention and you said that uh you don't believe in the cleanses mm -hmm. I, I don't know if if it's true or not or you know w whatever but do you I mean like people who eat really bad mm -hmm. um do you think that it's a bad idea for them to do a so-called so cleanse or like because there's got to be some kind of way where people are removing like those, like some kind of, I guess, toxins in their body the old, good old, and stuff like the that. The good old toxins, the good old, that's, the that's, good, that, that's what I hear. That's that buzzword, man. Cortez, that's the buzzword. That's so, it. So listen, it's not a matter, anything I say, like, yes, if you want my opinion on things or if anybody wants my opinion, I'd be happy to give it. That's what I'm but, asking. But the thing is, I don't usually, I, I'm in a profession where my opinion means shit. 
People right. don't care about my opinion. And my opinion is not, doesn't hold water. What's important is the science and the data that back up claims, right? There right. are people that think that being bitten, you know, that if you get bit by a snake, you shouldn't die because, you know, you've got spiritual strength. Like that, but the science says if you get bitten by a poisonous snake, you're probably going to die. Yeah. So it's, I don't have an opinion on these things. This is purely science, physiology, and facts. If okay. you have a liver, a set of kidneys, lungs, and skin, your body is fully equipped to rid itself of all toxins, quote unquote, that you may experience. There is no mm. such thing as toxic buildup in the body. And for anyone who thinks that there is, my question is always to that person, what toxins do you speak of? Tell me the toxins and tell me where they're stored. And then show me the data behind drinking celery juice that will rid <laughs> you of the aforementioned toxins. Right, right. And no one has an answer. Your liver is designed – it is the organ of your body that is designed – to detox that's the whole reason you have a liver your blood you have a separate set of veins well, I, I mean it, it's it's your whole system like the fact that we sweat the fact that we like what what's in our urine when we urinate like your body is constantly getting getting rid of, rid toxins. of things so or well i don't know if it's toxins but waste let's uh -huh. let's just say exactly. waste your, your body's getting wet, rid of waste at all times. Like even if, you know, if you take vitamins, whatever your body doesn't need mm -hmm. or need, it gets rid of it. Absolutely. So, it's, um, called, it's called renal threshold. Right, right, right. Yeah. So so that's why I ask you, like, do you believe that there is nothing that that I, I just wanted you to elaborate on that more? And I'm glad that you, you worded oh, yeah. it the way that you did, because a lot of people don't understand. Like there, I mean, in order for that to happen, I feel like it would have to be so like your health would have to be so bad and it would be your your body would get rid of everything within like the first two or three days for, you know, it's, it's not something like a cleanse where people are doing like I, I see people doing like a week, two weeks, a mm -hmm. month, like mm -hmm. and I'm like, dude, are you, are you serious? Like it takes a whole month for. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, for and again, it's, and that's the thing is, if you look at the look at the books. Look at the books and compile the books. The 30 day, the 30 day cleanse, the 28 right. day cleanse, the 21 day quick fix, the 20 day quick fix, the 15 day fast, the two week cleanse, the right. 10 day cleanse, the seven day restart, the five day restart, the three day quick fix, the one day fast. Like it's all marketing and garbage. Right. True. If there was if there was a set way to do it, everyone it would be would the do same it. thing. Yeah, it would yeah. be the same thing. It's just like everybody wants to generate something new because mm -hmm. the thing the thing about that is, and, and I was just, I'm so glad you said that because it's like you're reading my mind. I was just about to say that the differences in all these different studies, the fact that when people are presenting this information to me, my personal mm -hmm. opinion, and there's like. 30, 40 different, you know, I guess, observations of what the right way is. When mm -hmm. I see that many different ways to do something, quote unquote, right, mm -hmm. I have to question it and say, well, you know what? There's this many ways to do this. So to me, I feel like I'm a guinea pig if I try your way. 
because sure. if if I don't feel if I even if I feel good your way, I'm still going to be wondering, well, what if I did it this way, or what if I did this, or what? And it's like you're constantly playing with your body, but the like you said, the definitive facts lay in front of you is just pretty much clean eating exercise and for me water intake those are the three things that i look at as like physically the things that you can do to improve your health physically sure but and and a couple things you touched on number one you're absolutely right when you look at all these different things being a guinea pig Number one, so first thing you touched, I want to touch on that you mentioned is the different things. And number two is the clean eating. So don't let me forget about that. Okay. But first of all, if you look at all, let's say diets, big diets right now, the keto diet is huge, right? Right. Then you've got the paleo diet. You've got the, 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 uh, zone diet is very popular and you've got, you know, vegan and vegetarian are always very popular. If you look at any of these diets, people do them. And have results. Nobody argues that. Right. But if one of them was right and the rest of them were wrong, then we would have one of them that is getting results, not all right. of them. So instead of saying, well, some things work for some people and some things don't, that's not scientific. There is nothing right. behind that. What you have to do is think from a scientific standpoint, what is the similarity between all of these diets? Even though at face value, there is nothing similar. And if you trace it back far enough, you find what the similarity is. And the similarity between vegan, vegetarian, paleo, zone, Atkins, keto, the carrot diet, all this stuff, is that they are all reducing the amount of food you put in your face. That's it. If you're cutting out all the carbohydrates you ever eat, then you are reducing the number of calories that are going into your body. If you're cutting out all the meat, you're cutting out a huge chunk of all the calories that are going in your body. Now, yes, I realize that's simplistic. And if there's anyone listening that is a PhD in nutrition, they're probably beating their brains out right now. Yes, I understand there's a whole lot more that goes into it with blood chemistry (laughs) and ketones and amino acids and blood sugar and upregulation, downregulation of hormones. Like, trust me, I get it. I'm not an idiot. But I'm telling you, the baseline is people that restrict certain foods from their diet are eating less. And when you're in a caloric deficit by not eating as much as you were yesterday, you are going to burn more fat because your body needs the fuel. So that's your scientific. It's not that the vegan diet or the keto diet or the celery juice diet is anything special. It's the fact that you are restricting food and your body needs to burn something to stay alive. So what's it going to turn to? Your stored body fat. And what's that going to do? It's going to make you lose weight. Right. And, the and a lot of thing, people don't know ahead. about like uh, your your basal metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. So, and you struck that in my mind when you said uh, the caloric deficit. So, if anybody isn't aware of this, you can go on online. Pretty much, they're all accurate from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And you can put in your gender, your yep. um, your height, your weight, and all these things, your activity level, and you'll have pretty much a general aspect of how many calories you burn just by doing nothing just yep. by yep. just by living yep so you could eat those that amount of calories and if you were to just work out you still bound to lose weight as That's long it. as and 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 I want you to touch on clean eating before oh, I, yeah. before I oh, do yeah. cuz I want <laughs> I want to hear what you got to say because you wanted me to remind This is this clean eating is probably where I get the most people that I disagree with 
because it's a dogma that has been established that people are just, I mean, people, people regard clean eating as much as they regard religion. So this is where I ruffle the most tail feathers and where I actually get the most excited because this is where data backs my views the most. If I were to give you three gallons of water and said, Cortez, you cannot move from your chair until you finish all three gallons. I don't care how much you have to pee. You have to finish all three gallons of water. What do you think would happen to you? I mean, you, first of all, you either, well, either I have to pee on myself. You can't pee. To, not allowed to pee. Not allowed to pee. So what is going to happen to you? It's pretty simple. I'm pretty much going to drown myself. I'm You're going to drown yourself internally. Exactly. Yeah. You will die. It will kill yeah. you. Okay. No one is going to write an article that says deadly water kills local man. <laughs> hey, you never know. You never but, know. To get people to read. You're right. Yeah. Like, okay. Clickbait. Clickbait. <laughs> but no one with half a brain is going to go, oh, water is so bad for me. I can't drink water ever again. That guy died drinking water. Because right. we all assume that the problem wasn't the water. The problem was you drank too much of it. And right. that's where the clean eating argument comes in. There is no such thing as bad food. And I'm, I'm going to repeat that. There is no such thing as a bad food. And the reason for that is that even though your eyeballs see a snicker bar, your digestive tract and your cell, the cells of your body, see what that food breaks down into. Okay? And so the example I give to my patients is if you take an apple and then you take a, on one side, you take a stick of celery and a bag of Skittles on the other side. That apple, if you break it down into the components that make it up all the way down to the, 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 the atomic level, it's going to be made of protein, or I'm sorry, not protein, carbohydrates, fiber, and minerals and vitamins. That's what makes that apple up. If you look at the Skittles and the celery, you take the celery and it has fiber and minerals and vitamins, and you take the Skittles and it has carbohydrates. So when you take and account for the amounts of each nutrient and equate them, make them the same. So whatever, however much celery it takes to match the fiber in the apple and however much, however big of an apple it takes to match the sugar in the Skittles, those things, when you eat them, will affect your physiology in the exact same way. Because your body doesn't care that it's fructose in a fruit or sucrose in a in table sugar in the Skittles. When it when you eat food, it breaks it all the way down to its basic building blocks. Which for Skittles, sucrose breaks down a little bit faster than fructose, which is a disaccharide, a double molecule sugar in that fruit. But when it breaks that fructose apart, you're stuck with the same exact things that were in that Skittles. So there is no such thing as bad food. There's not one food on the planet that's bad. And that includes organic versus non-organic and GMO versus non-GMO. Because cyanide is found in nature naturally, and it will kill you. 
but cocaine is non-GMO, and everyone can agree that's probably not good for you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. I, yeah. So I see. I see. Your so point. the whole natural versus not natural, and GMO versus non-GMO, and organic versus not organic, based on the data, based on the literature, the unbiased literature, not done by the companies that are trying to sell you their product, uh-huh. is that all of that stuff is bullshit. Okay. So so, and. Not not to be too counter argumentative to what you're saying. No, please but, do. Um, so like as far as as far as like tables and charts and stuff like that go, do you do you like believe in the uh glycemic index? Sure. Yeah, glycemic I mean the glycemic so, index is real. Okay. But you're talking about you have to take into account when you look at the glycemic index, they're looking at just simply blood sugar variants right right because but you one have thing that you were saying that and, that, and, and the, the reason that this is on my mind is just by little things that you're saying and, and that brought it into my mind is when mm-hmm. you're talking about how sugars are broke down and mm-hmm. you're you're saying like pretty much the uh, sucrose versus the fructose um and the way i look at it is when you're talking about the 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 so-called clean eating versus there's no bad food for you Mm -hmm. and going back to kind of the middle to beginning of our conversation when you were saying it matters like about how you fuel yourself Mm -hmm. the i'm I'm just putting all this together just to get everybody a better picture on everything when you eat something that gives you a surge of energy Mm -hmm. if if you're not a i mean I want everybody to be as healthy as possible. Sure. But if you're not trying to be like a top level athlete, I feel like that is not the thing you should do on a regular basis. I don't think anybody should be eating those types of foods that, you know, spike your blood sugar really quick Mm -hmm. and then boom, like you're, you're crashing. I don't feel like anybody should be riding that roller coaster all day. So there, your body does break it down from my, from my opinion and from the way I view it. It breaks it down to its base form, yeah. But the I, I look at the rate of how fast things get broken down and how your body uses it because um, the way that fitness is defined that I've heard and it's the best definition for me um, is your body's ability to turn its fuel into work. So when I think about that and I think about the 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 concept of a diet which Uh everybody has their own diet Mm -hmm. i think about it along the lines of okay if you're willing to work or work out or take care of yourself and you want to improve your Uh diet what you take in has to improve sure you know so to me i can't be like oh yeah you know if you if you eat you know a, a loaf of bread versus you know like different carbohydrates throughout the day like brown rice mm-hmm. and you know quinoa things like that I, I i just feel like there's a different outcome sure. as far so, as so the way let me that ask, your body processes it let me let me play devil's advocate here for you if and that's and the, your thought process is not bad it's just misinformed and that's most of the people in the public Okay. So when people think like, I don't want to eat un- quote unquote unhealthy foods, right? And, we, and you, you touched on glycemic index and things like that. Do you realize that fruit 
is one of the highest glycemic index foods out there. Oh, yeah. Most so, definitely. so if we're relying on glycemic index to be an indicator of the health value of a food, then you're better off eating pasta than you are bananas. Because True. the glycemic index for pasta is lower than it is bananas, certain types of pasta. Right. So we can't – when you equate for – before I say – most of, the, most of the, the bullet points that are made in healthcare do not equate for equivalency across the board. And what I mean by that is it's a whole lot easier to say, yes, glycemic index – high glycemic index foods are bad for you. But that's not equating for the same caloric intake as a lower glycemic index food. Because if you put a diet of, let's say, 2,000 calories for round number's sake, and in that diet, you need so many grams of protein, so many grams of fat, carbs, and fiber. If you equate those for 2,000 calories following a quote-unquote whole food diet of meats, veggies, no bread, no starches, none of that. And you equate that calorically with a diet that does allow for things like a little bit of candy here and there, but you're still hitting all the right amounts of macronutrients, proteins, fats, carbs, and fiber. Biggest thing there, fiber. There is zero change in blood chemistry either way. So glycemic index is only important in. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying I'm not saying that there that that's that's what I'm saying. There's there's not going to be a change as far as how it gets broken or not how it gets broken down. But as far as the longevity of your body being able to use it. So you like you you're completely right. I'm not saying tailor everything around the glycemic index, but as far as like pretty much the quality of fuel as far as how it's getting broken down is, mm -hmm. you know, kind of what I look at because you're right. Like if you're, if you're looking at certain types of pastas versus a banana or, you know, some even possibly kiwis or I don't have a chart in front of me, mm -hmm. but of course, like when you're looking at the glycemic index, it's going to say things are getting broken down at a certain rate. So when I, when I think about the, I guess the cleanliness of eating, what I think about is, once again, you're right, there is technically no bad food, but I don't want somebody, you know, listening to my show thinking that, oh, as long as I hit all my calories or I can get all my carbs from honey buns. I don't personally believe in that because it's it's things that come along with it. Broken down um, and, and being see, able and to process it. Sure. And, and that's, that's totally understandable, but that honestly is where the fault in health and fitness is, is we're willing to accept things that fall into what we think or what we believe, but we're not willing to accept the others. Right. And right. so, you know, when, when, when you say that, you know, you don't want people to think that they can eat honey buns, like, of course, I don't think that anybody that eats honey buns every meal is going to be able to be healthy. But it all comes full circle back to what we talked about before, and that's the arguments against that are, number one, if it's bad for you and there's something in it, your lungs, liver, and kidneys, and, and, we'll and everything else are going to get rid of the bad pieces as they're designed to do, and that leaves you with only the molecular pieces that create that food. 
And your body, even though you and I can look at a package of honey bun and go, that's a honey bun and look at, you know, a bowl of fruit and go, yep, but that's a bowl of fruit. Like our bodies and our, and our cells and our metabolism, everything inside of us could give it, could give a care less what it looks like. Right. Because once it enters your system, it breaks down the same. Right. So it's, it's the hardest thing for people to accept is that foods that have been told to us that they're bad, aren't bad. And that's, and it's, it's, we could dance around it. We could say like, yeah, you know, but you know, but I really don't feel like that's right. And the truth is, and I respect everyone's opinion. I truly do. But again, like I said, man, I don't give my opinion. I give the facts. The right. facts are, <laughs> the facts are, I don't, and it's not towards you. This is towards everyone. I don't care if you don't think that you can eat cookies and be healthy because you're wrong. And that's the truth is not in my opinion. The truth is in the data. You don't have to eat like a rabbit to be healthy. You don't have to eat all organic and right. grass fed and everything honestly, to be fit and lean. Honestly, you just man, have to have moderation. I feel like eat, eating, eat for me, because I tried it when I when I was boxing. So I boxed for like five years and I was eating quote unquote clean. Mm-hmm the time and it sucked it Mm -hmm. oh my god it was like the fucking worst i never had any candy i never which i'm not a a big person on candy i only like like reese's cups and that's pretty yeah man that's awesome so (laughs) so yeah i mean i i ate like every day it was pretty much set up where i eat like chicken breast rice and broccoli like for, for majority and then like eggs with egg whites and stuff like that veggies and stuff but it was like I, I was doing two a day, so I'd like, for instance, like I run five miles in the morning, and then in afternoons I would go to the gym with my coach, and we'd be, you know, doing workouts for like an hour to two hours after mm-hmm. that. And one thing that I noticed, and this is crazy because I can really, really relate to what you're saying. It's just, I, like you said, it's hard for me to accept it. So when I stopped that, I was still working out, but being in the military, we had to do PT tests, right? Mm-hmm. And from being so, I guess, like exhausted, Deprived. my body, yeah, my body didn't have the fuel that mm-hmm. it needed to perform at like peak levels. Yep. So like on, on a PT test, I would run like an 11 minute mile and a half. Right? Awesome. And no, that's not. It's not. It's really not. So let me let me. To just, me, it let is. Me just, <laughs> <laughs> but no, let me just let me just break it down to how how things change. So back then, when I was, I think I weighed like one seventy, one seventy five, which is small for me. Mm-hmm. So then, when I stopped boxing, I, I just you know I didn't let my diet go or anything like that. But I, I jumped up to one eighty five, one eighty five, one ninety, bro. And I shit you not, man. My my run time went from 11, 11 and a half minutes down to like nine and a half, 10 minute mile and a half. Yeah, man. And, and you know, a lot of things that people used to tell me all the time, like, oh, if you want to run faster, you got to lose weight. If you want to do this, then you need to lose weight. You got to eat better. You got to drink more water. And, and, and dude, when I was Boston, I was drinking like two gallons of water a day. Mm-hmm. I was hitting my calories and stuff. But it was just the fact that my output was so, so high. Yeah, yes. like I, I, I wasn't getting what I – and I was eating – I think I know for sure I had at least six meals a day. So I was eating to the point where I was full, but my body wasn't able to keep up with it. 
to you were still in caloric deficits. Yeah, I didn't have dense foods. Yep. So when I when I dialed it back, I was able to to perform at higher levels. Absolutely. Just simply because my body had the fuel that it needed. I was able to use that and drive on for, I guess you could say a shorter period of time, but yeah. higher output. So that, that exact phenomenon, and man, this could be a whole nother like two hour discussion, but just as a bullet point, that exact phenomenon is an intermediate, like an, a, 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 a short scale version of what's called reverse dieting, which reverse dieting for those that don't know, is when you diet so hard for so long, you literally wreck your metabolism yeah. to where you cannot lose any more weight because no matter how much you're outgoing, your cellular metabolism is so slow, it will not allow you to burn fat. So when you have those moments where like, it, and most of the people, like yours, yours is in a, a sports setting, right? Like I ate a little bit more and I got more athletic. Most people, right. you hear about it is like, I've been dieting, 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 and then I go out with my girlfriends or my boyfriends one night. We drink a little too much, a little too much beer, get a little bit more calories than we expect, and they lay down in bed thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to have everything I've worked for is going to be gone. And they right. wake up in the next morning, they look in the mirror, and they go, holy shit, I look amazing. Right, right. That's ha happened to me too. That so that that phenomenon is you are giving your body the fuel it needs to perform optimally and to right. function properly. And right. that's all. And when you're looking at coming out of a hardcore long term diet where you basically crash your metabolism, the way that you fix your metabolism is by slowly introducing more and more food on a consistent basis to where your body recognizes, holy crap, I got all this extra food. I got to burn through it. Right, exactly. And so, 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 yeah. So, um, you know, coming full circle, it's just, it's a hard thing for people to swallow. And trust me, man, when I first got into practice and I was first giving advice on things, like I was so into the dogmatic stuff because I felt like it's what people wanted. It was what's popular. People want to hear. Here are the top five superfoods that are going to curb your appetite and burn your belly fat. Like that, oh people, yeah, I feel like that, that. That's definitely bullshit. I mean, I experimented with it, and I was uh, I read this article, and it told me strawberries, and I went and bought a bunch of strawberries. Now this was a long time ago. I was, I was like, all right, cool. Strawberries curb your appetite, and they're low in calories, whatever. So I, every every day, I just tested it out. I think it was like for a week, tested it out for a snack in the morning. Mm -hmm. I would eat strawberries. And I'm not kidding. It made me hungrier. Mm -hmm. I was like, what in the hell is this, man? So all that, I, I learned real quick to not believe in all that. And I'm so glad to have you on the show today. Because yeah, man, yeah. Definitely, like, from you breaking it down and you saying that your body is going to process things for what it is and instead of what it looks like is yep. a huge eye opener. I hope it is for everybody else who's listening because it's just kind of like certain things that you're that you control in your body like your breathing. You can sure. you can stop breathing whenever you want. Mm -hmm. But you can't just stop. Like you can't voluntarily without inflicting physical damage on yourself. You can't voluntarily think I want my heart, my heart to stop beating for 5 right. seconds. You can't and do that. Your body like, doesn't doesn't that, correlate that, with your mind. Exactly. And that comes in uh, that breathing example is perfect. It's just like the water. 
if you if you breathe in pure oxygen only, it's gonna kill you. Right. Because your body and nobody's gonna say oxygen is bad, but your right. body, that's a toxic amount of oxygen, is pure oxygen for too long. So, you know, you you raise a really great point in saying like, you know, if you experiment with these things, you try it, you see how it reacts with your body. And the point you made about the strawberries is fantastic because we have to, as a society and as a, as, a, as a health conscious community, we have to say, I'm not willing to accept the far end craziness that says that there are superfoods that are hidden in the Amazon that if I eat are going to burn my belly fat and make me live to 100. As much as we say that's extreme and untrue, we have to hold those same steadfast principles to the things that aren't as extreme, like cookies are bad for you, you should never eat them. Candy will give you diabetes if you eat any bit of candy. Like those are just as egregious as the big, crazy headline things that we know to be false. We have to hold true to our beliefs and say, we're going to stick with what we say, no matter how small it is outside that seems like it's counter to that. Or how ridiculous it is, and everyone can agree that it's ridiculous. Right. It's kind of like the small things are what to kill you. That's it, man. That's, there you go. That's that should be the title of the of the podcast. Hey, it's, <laughs> <laughs> that's it right there. So, hey, we we extended the show past. The it looks like you're gonna have to do two episodes minutes. out of this one, man. Hey, look, I'll be glad to have you again, and we can definitely go way further in the depth. I really appreciate having you on the show. If you can, just recap who you are, what you do, and where people can find you so they can get more of your knowledge and expertise because you have a lot of insight. Sure, man. It's, uh, my name is Travis Owens. Um, my website is thecheerdoc.com. stands for The Cheerleading Doctor. Uh, all shortened, thecheerdoc.com, Instagram, at thecheerdoc. Um, our podcast is anchor.fm forward slash cheerleading. Even if you're not a cheerleader, we do touch on things like injury prevention and rehab. We have interviews with really um, top-level people in the cheer world. Um, and, you know, aside from just cheerleading specific, my goal is to help people to just live better, happier, and healthier lives. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it. Everybody, I hope you look forward to number two of the interview. We're going to push this out and keep on rolling for this first quarter of the year being the health topic. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.